Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to this week's edition of Blues Talk again, John, Dave, and myself. We're going to look back over Ireland's victory against Italy, other Six Nation game, and of course, uh, Leinster's match uh, also against Glasgow at the weekend. Of course, look forward to a big match against Ulster on Saturday and all the other Pro 14 games. So, lads, uh, 48-10 victory for Ireland. Back on winning ways. Um, okay performance. I mean, let's sort of a Catch 22, really, when we play Italy. If you don't win well, then it's a poor, poor result, really, isn't it? Well, it's like, it's like I always say, it's almost impossible to win against Italy. If you beat them, you're expected to. If you get a bonus point, you're kind of expected to. So, unless you, unless you, as John would say, juggle fire and walk tight ropes and stuff like that, um, you're onto a hiding to nothing. All you can do is go out and beat them, get a bonus point. You know, and hopefully show some kind of shape and play quite well, which we did. Um, some guys, some guys impressed. So you know, it's it is what it is. It's 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 a win against Italy, a bonus point win against Italy. It's hard to get excited about it, but it's it, it one shouldn't be too disappointed. One shouldn't get disappointed about it either. I mean, it was there were elements of the performance that were actually quite good, and elements that showed a progression in things that we'd been worried about. Yeah. Um... We, we fronted up really well in defence and we stopped, we seem to have a good plan. We stopped Italy doing what they've done to other teams. You know, it's not that they win matches, but they've, they've, uh, they've had a, a bit of penetration against other teams in, uh, in, in previous games in the Six Nations. Uh, and we didn't give them any, really. Uh, we also looked a little bit better in attack ourselves. But again, it's, it's only Italy, um, you know, and we've lost two games. You know, if we didn't win against Italy, Andy Farrell was on the boat. So uh, you know, you kind of had to, you kind of had to win, um, and we did, and we won well. So you know, fair, fair, fair is fair. They uh, they gave it a good. You know, we saw some some development, but I don't. I'm not sure I'd be hanging my hat on the development we saw or uh, expecting to win against Scotland or England. Especially, well, England could be a wounded beast by the time they get to the to the end of the road, the Six Nations, uh, and our last game against them. So that remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, I paraphrase Fianna Fáil, a bit done and more to do. Yeah, well, one thing that I kind of wanted to look at was say, initially, the, the, their opening match was against France, and France put fifty points on them. And the winning margin was 40. Then they played England in Twickenham, and England only put it was a differential of 23. Now, maybe that's more of a reflection on England. We made a 38 point differential, you know, two different than France. France scored seven tries, England scored six, we scored six. So we're kind of like there and thereabouts with the three matches played so far. But it's the old perennial, I think. You mentioned it last week, like they're just refereed off the pitch. Like, you know, in both the previous two matches, they conceded 12 penalties, but they conceded 18 and two yellow cards in the match against us. And when things start going wrong for them, the referees just ping them and ping them and ping them, and then eventually give the yellow cards. And that's it. And, you know, that's game over because they're already kind of struggling, clinging on by fingertips. And like, I just, I think they kind of get a hard, they get a bit of, but a hard look all the time. Like they don't seem to get any good decisions going in their favor. It's always negative ones or appears uh, that way. I would say that they haven't had a good decision again in their favor since since they beat us that time. Uh, when they had the red when we had the red card. Um one, one thing I would say, I mean it was interesting that you highlighted the games against England and France. It took England and France you know, quite a bit of time to put Italy away. 
I mean, they were close for 20, 30, maybe even 40 minutes against against maybe uh, France. It was, it was only towards the end of the game that France stepped away. And, and, and France's, a lot of France's tries came from Italy's mistakes. We never gave them those opportunities. They didn't. We, we, we were far more impressive in putting them away in the first half, certainly, than England and France were. Yeah, I agree with that. And and then, like, there was certain, you know, there was a few things that you'd look and you'd say, God, that was great from Ireland. One was Sexton. I thought he was very positive. He was taking the ball really uh, close to the line. Like, that try that uh, Earl scored just at the very last minute, you know, he executed that exceptionally well. His yeah. kicking was, was first class. It was eight from eight. He was getting sideline conversions and long rangers. His and, conver- actually, his conversion of Earl's was a real kind of... Um, You'd almost say it was showboating, except for the fact you can't really do that with a kick, but the way he faded it in. Yeah, it was lovely. And and then even, you know, then sort of we saw Ringrose making a lovely break and getting that offload for Keenan. So there's kind of there's you know a genesis of of um the team kind of starting to bond and to, to gel together to what we wanted to be, of course. Whereas in the previous two matches, like we were quite pedestrian and, you know, it was quite, it's hopefully they will just play that way when they come up against the bigger side rather than showboating, as you said, against Italy, you know? Well, that, well that's it. Hopefully it's, it's indicative of, of, of progression, not just a once-off. I mean, the one thing, another thing kind of positive is there's a lot of guys who have been injured. They might make it for the Six Nations, but they are coming back on stream. I mean, Stockdale returned for Ulster. Balakoon returned for Ulster. Um, there's guys... Joey Carberry. Joey Carberry came back for Munster. There's guys coming back on, on, on stream. And then you've got guys who, let's face it, I mean, I don't... Much as we lo- I, I like the player, I don't think anyone ever saw uh, Jemison Gibson Park as an Irish regular. No. But he hasn't looked out of place at international level. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of, uh, and he might end up a bit of a Sean Cronin, where he's 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 the one who comes on at the end to change the loosen pace. things up and change the pace and fire out those mad snappy passes out to the wingers, uh, close to the line. So, uh, is he going to be a nailed-on starter? I think he's somewhere in between the uh, the in in scrum half terms. He's in between the uh, an out half the Jack. Carty, uh, Ross Byrne, Ian Madigan, whoever you're having yourself uh, level uh, behind Johnny Sexton. He's he's in between that and Conor Murray. So I don't think he's going to A, replace Conor Murray. He's probably only two or three years younger than Conor Murray, is he? Um, yeah, there, there, isn't, there isn't a big drop-off between Murray and Gibson Park. That there is between Johnny Sexton and everyone else. Yeah, that's my point. He's in that zone in in the middle, but he's not going to take on. You know, he might catch Murray earlier than the others will catch Sexton, but he will. Uh, you know, he's not that much younger, so even if he does get the the starting berth, he won't have it for too long. You would think. Um, got another guy who impressed me was uh, Will Connors. Mm. He had a really good game. Um, I was impressed with like he's been seen as having one one type of game. He's he's been seen as the Dan Lydiot of Ireland, where he's he's great at chop tackling, and you know uh, that's his that's his bag of tricks. And you put him on against England and keep Billy Vanapola in check or <clears throat> something like that. But I think he showed he has a bit more to his game than that. Although he has that in in spades, uh, I, I, you know he's. He's yeah, got he's, a huge engine, a bit like Ty Byrne on the other on the other flank. He's got a massive engine. Uh, he can, he's he's a more rounded player than his primary skill set would suggest. Yeah. Um, it has to be said the back row looked very well balanced. Um, mm. Italy Italy generally have very good back rows. I mean, you could the the problems tend to start with the, in, in 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 the double digits kind of thing. Um, with, with players at that level, but I thought the back row looked very well balanced. I thought CJ Standard a very good game. I thought Ty Byrne was excellent as well. I was between him and Connors and and Henshaw. I thought for a man of the match. Yeah, uh, Henshaw's in a great uh, vein yeah. of form. H- Henshaw always is. I mean, he's always that guy who's 
you know, he mightn't he mightn't do the outrageous things that maybe uh, that uh, that a, a Gary Ringrose is capable of. But he's always, you know, he's always seven, seven and a half, eight out of ten every match. He's the Hugo Keenan of, well, never yeah. mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually like Ty Byrne at six. I really like him at six. And I think that the thing that Peter Romani is always touted for is his defensive line-out ability. Um, now, he's probably easier to throw up in the air than, than Ty Byrne. But Ty Byrne is a serious yeah. defensive yeah. Uh, line-out operator, so I don't think you're losing a whole hell of a lot with him at six. You're losing the second man to the rook thing that uh, O'Mahony is is so good. But again, he's he's bloody good at rooks too, and he's a great poacher for a man who's six foot six. So he's very good over the ball. So you know, I don't know. I I I kind of have him in there ahead of uh, Peter O'Mahony. However. Peter, he's not ahead of Peter O'Mahony uh, for Munster because he's playing in the second row. So it's it's a tough one. You've got a funny balance there in Munster with, with Gavin Coombs, Peter O'Mahony, CJ Stander and Ty Byrne. You know, you like those all those guys are going to go into your first team, you'd have to say. Uh, so that puts Ty Byrne. Yeah, you have to remember, maybe, maybe Munster's plans would be different if Orgy Snayman were available. Yeah. Um, because they are again, by the way. Pardon? Yeah, he's, he's running, running again. Because um, without Orgy's name, and they really only have, you know, Billy Holland, uh, Klein, and uh, Byrne. So yeah. it did kind of it did deplete their stocks in the second row. Well, um, there's a few young lads coming through, but there are a few yeah. young lads. I mean, but they haven't. I mean, some some of those guys haven't progressed as as, as quite as quickly as we'd hoped. But I mean, it's it's it, it is a position with a long development time. So that's not necessarily a concern, but it has left Munster a little bit skinny in that position at this point in time. So maybe that's why, you know, whatever plans they had to use Ty Byrne in the back row, maybe had to be shelved. I, I, I don't know, but um, Munster had very little choice but to play him in the second row. And just, go, just come back to, our, to the Irish game. I thought that was the most balanced back row that we've selected since the time that Ferris O'Brien and Heaslip played together. Um, yeah, like you know, they've, they've kind of I don't know how many couldn't put a number on how many different combinations they've had in the back row in the say to call it the 10 years between that World Cup in, down in, in New Zealand and now, but it certainly seemed to, to work very well. And again, I suppose everything is tempered by the fact that we're playing Italy and we really don't know until you know we play one of the better teams in, um, in the championship, like. You look at say Farrell's record since he's taken over. I think he's played twelve games. He's won seven, lost five. But the five that he's lost are against two against England, two against France, one against Wales. So like sort of the better teams in the championship, we haven't performed against. And maybe it takes twelve games for all the players to get onto the same page and the right playbook and so on. And hopefully they have. I and mean, when we saw Wales, we'll talk about Wales shortly, but. It's taken them and, and quite a few games under uh, Wayne Pivak to, to sort of to get their shit together, even though they got a huge style of a look in all three games. Yeah, they've got Italy next, and then it's France for the slam. I mean, they're they're set up. Uh, I don't know if they're home or, or away with France. Anybody know that? I don't. I don't. Uh, really <laughs> don't even know if France will be playing matches. That's true as well, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Are they like, going to do, um, like they did last year, are they going to do a, a playoff in June or something? Where they No, they have it penciled in for the 26th of March. All right. Apparently they've got buy-in from the, both the English and French and presumably Pro 14 clubs that uh, anyone who needs to be released will be released. Well, we've our final on. Uh, on the 26th of March, don't we? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be too many Scottish players involved in this. <laughs> not really a concern. Yeah, well, not for Scotland, no. Or indeed France. Or indeed France. So hopefully that's the only game that needs to be replayed. Yeah. So, so let's, um, I suppose, like, obviously the, the, the Wales-England um, game was brought them a triple crown. Uh, 
But like uh, once again, they got the rub of the. We we're talking about Italy not getting the rub of the green. Wales got another dose of, and probably more luck than than any other um, game in in the Six Nations this year. Like first of all, there was two dodgy tries. Yeah, well, it was the referee obviously making taking the time off to tell Farrell to go back talk to his players. Didn't, but then like I've seen that happen before. I mean, it happened O'Gara. Remember against South Africa in 04, was it, when he took a quick tap and scored in just uh, five metres out? And then, you know, I saw a clip when I think it was... Uh, Saracens. Uh, yeah, Saracens against somebody playing. And, like, it's the exact same thing when he rolls reverse. Farrell took the kick for yeah. Ashton to score in the corner. So, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was certainly heads up play from Dan Bigger. Um, yeah. I mean... Dan Bigger, Dan Bigger's like, Dan Bigger kind of badgered the referee. Is it time on yet, ref? Is time yeah. on yet? And, and then eventually he was kind of, okay, your time is on. And he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing contrary to the, to, to the laws of the game about what happened. Contrary to the spirit of the game, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. The second try is the one that's... We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not playing, you know, like in all due respect, we're not playing... Corinthians against. Uh, I know, yeah, but you know, but it's it's. I'm just saying, like, if the ref, if the ref tells a team to a captain to go and talk to his team, then the least he can do is let the team reset after he's after the ref has moved them all out of position. Remember, is there not a law on the statute books that says no. uh, that no. says um, no. if no. it's England, it's cool? No, <laughs> I'm sure um, there was. The interesting one for me. Um, was the second try or the second yeah. the, the, the knock on not knock on was it a knock on yes it was no it wasn't I think all of us would agree, would, would agree that that was definitely a knock on yeah however a reading of the law books they introduced a simplified law book in I think it was three years ago four years ago um, and what it did is it left huge swathes of grey area and vagueness if you read the law book and look at that try, you will not find anything wrong with it. But we all know okay. it's a knock-on. Yeah, but well, how many times have we seen, and we can clearly see the ball does not go forward, okay? Goes yeah. not, not in that try, in other situations. But the ball makes contact with the hand and goes down. Yeah. We've nearly seen it forever given as a knock-on. Now, yeah. I mean, one way they could just say it, if you're facing your own goal line, right? So your hands are facing toward, and the ball hits you and it goes down, it, you know, you would imagine that that is the ball going backwards. However, if you got your back to your own goal line and facing the attacking goal line and the ball hits your hand and goes down, in my view, that's hit, that's, that's a knock on, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think there's any question, but they, what they need to do is they need to add... They, they say they oversimplified the law book. We've seen a couple of examples there in recent in recent weeks where uh, things that have been previously in the law books and s s subsequently removed in the in, in, in the goal of reducing complexity have caused big issues. So I think yeah. they need to re revisit the law book. Um, sure. But it was it was a knock on. I mean, I think we'd all agree agree on that. Um, yeah. Ultimately, people have said, and to a certain extent, they're right purely mathematically. That that's two tries and England won or Wales won by sixteen points anyway, so it didn't make a difference. But of course, it made a difference because yeah. the game itself ebbs and flows depending on whether you're chasing a game, whether you're chasing a lead, protecting a lead, how how much of a lead you have, how much of a lead you have to chase. The way you play constantly fluctuates depending on those things. So to say it didn't make a difference in the end is based purely on subtraction and addition. Of course, it made a difference. It, it, it made a material difference to the game. But on the other hand, England never looked like winning that match, really. No, but but, but they like, didn't do enough if, to win it. If you look at how switched on Wales were, yeah. like, for example, Liam Williams to follow up and to dive on that ball that went forward. That was, you know, from anybody else that you'd watch it. I'm sure like the, if there were 74,000 people in that stadium, even the most one-eyed Welshman would say that was a knock-on. Even the winger himself by the look on his face, recognised it was. Oh yeah. A but Liam Williams followed in and dived on that ball when everyone else stopped. 
Likewise, when we saw Elliot Daly turning his back on a, on a five-meter penalty when the scrum half tapped and went himself because he just presumed Wales are going to take the three points here. Wales were 100% switched on for that game, whereas England, for whatever reason, might have been a little bit complacent. Like, I mean, at the low level of rugby that I played, if, if if captain comes back and starts giving out to you or tells you to, you know, you don't listen to it. I'm sorry, you just don't. If you're the if you're the winger and you're marking up, you say out on your wing and you mark up. You know what he's going to say. Have a word with your players. It's like I'm not listen to that shite. I'm going to play the game. Like you know, whereas they all went in under the post to get a a swig of water and listen to Andy Farrell or uh, Owen Farrell say, well, the referee says, lads, that we're not to be slowing down the ball. You know what I mean? Why would you want to hear that? I think I think, I think England did what a lot of teams do when the ref says have a word. In their heads, they hear, ooh, water break. Yeah. Uh, and that's what happened. But And, and, and another thing, like uh, uh, Owen Farrell was making the point, uh, actually quite politely for him, that the water carriers were still on the pitch. Um, so what? It's not mentioned in the laws anywhere. But sure, we've seen play go on when there's a guy might have pulled a hamstring, let's say, and, and he's gone down yeah. and there's a yeah. physio run on. But, but funny enough, that is mentioned in the, in the laws about players getting treatment, but water carriers aren't mentioned at all. So, no. but, um, but like one, one thing throughout the game that was, and I think, you know, at the start of the season, I remember thinking, maybe the game against, against England's game against Scotland, I can remember saying to myself, or a Tojo seems to be getting penalised a lot more frequently. I always thought, and maybe because I'm looking at it when he's playing against Ireland or playing for Saracens against Leinster, and I, I want the referee to penalise him. But he always got, how can he possibly be onside? You know, for whether it's charge downs, whether it's coming through on the scrum half or being a disruptive menace. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but he's been certainly he's been penalized far more frequently in this year's championship than he has previously been. What I think with Itoji is Itoji plays the game absolutely on the limit, on the edge. His timing when he's playing for Saracens and England is generally spot on. He looks offside a lot of the time because he's absolutely on the limit of onside when he starts. Now, because he's only playing very few games since the summer. He's not getting back onside quick enough. His timing's off. He's just not playing enough rugby. I mean, it is. I, I don't think that the that the performance of this England team is in any way unconnected, is, is unconnected to the situation with Saracens. So you don't subscribe to the conspiracy theory that uh, the referees have been given a, a Maro, a Toji uh, declaration or law interpretation? No, I don't. No, of course not. Or, uh, or that Rob Howley is, has orchestrated the whole Six Nations for Wales <laughs> to win a Grand Slam and uh, him to make a fortune <laughs> by putting on money in January. No, I don't think so, no. Just two there, just for the crack. Um, I, I, I do think that, that that a lot of England players, or not a lot of, but a number of England players who are key to how England play, and Saracens players, um, they're not playing a lot of rugby and it shows. I mean, you look, you, Billy Vinopola does not look sharp. Maro Atoje's timing is off. Owen Farrell is not, does not look right. St stuff like that. So that only, so not only are those players affected, the units are affected. Yeah. And that's a spot. That's like just five of them in that team. Yeah. From, from Saracens. And obviously yeah. they haven't played a lot of rugby. And that's your, that's the spine of the team. Look at the guys. You're two in the front row, second row, back row. Your second, your first center, you know, like th those guys are the ones who make the decisions and basically have been the fulcrum for driving England and Saracens to all their recent success. And yeah. if those lads aren't playing regular rugby, well, they're obviously going to suffer. Suffer, yeah. The only, um, the only thing is, but that by the time they start getting enough games under their belt, they'll be up against us. <laughs> yeah, that's the sad thing. Um, the other game, obviously, Scotland France. Uh, it's been penciled in, as we said, for the 26th of March. But seven uh, rugby lads, I've been warning you. Yeah, but like it seems that there was a whole litany of 
cock-ups by uh, French rugby. Coach going off and having uh, a little gander at his son playing for the <coughs> under 20s or whatever it was. The French players meeting up, going for a, a few waffles in Rome. And... Um, Most expensive waffles in history. And, like, but leading up to, you know, like the, I, I know, again, in the, the, in the like every club during the Champions Cup knew the consequences of forfeiting a game was a 28-0 defeat. But you'd wonder, like, if all the other unions are taking such drastic measures, you know, and the sort of the sacrifice, whatever about the sacrifice that the players make when they're training or what they're putting it in on the pitch, battering into each other. It's the other sacrifice that they're making throughout the two months of the tournament, not seeing wives, girlfriends, family, going to, you know, christenings, weddings, all that kind of stuff that's, you know, that everyday life going on. They're making a sacrifice. And then they look around and they see, well, these lads are going off. It was a Welsh guy, like the Welsh guy, for example, who went off for the gender reveal party of some relative of his. Like he was sanctioned by not by being dropped from the squad. You know, the French dads go out and have waffles or watch their son playing or meet up with some friends from the sevens. And there's got there's relatively no sanction. Like it does seems a bit unfair. When you consider how snooty the French were about the whole COVID situation in Britain and Ireland uh, around the time the Champions Cup was supposed to resume. And indeed the fact that it's not resuming in its in, in its supposed in its originally designed format is down to that French snootiness. I think there's a certain case of, um, you know, humble pie been eaten, humble, humble tart. But there's, it's, it's, it's quite hypocritical as well. And like we think back to, do you remember the Barbarians were supposed to play England in a, a friendly match and then yeah. a few lads went out, okay, they broke the rules and they knew the rules and they got sanctioned and, you know, but it ended up meaning that the game was cancelled, that... Like, that's how serious the English Union are taking it. You know, and then the French Union don't, it's like, shrug the, shrug the shoulders and shrash or whatever. I wouldn't mind, you but know, France like, were shipping 60,000 60, cases a day at one point. They were, you know, they were way up in the numbers. Um, so I don't know why they're so snooty. I know they're not, uh, their, their population is about... It's only about three million less than England's or less than the UK, uh, but you know they're not that far behind on, on cases and deaths and stuff. Um, obviously, they're doing better than most people are doing better than the UK overall in deaths, etc. But um, yeah, I don't know where they're getting the uh, notions about their their snootiness. Or perceived Look at the roast beef there. Sure, they are riddled with the disease anyway. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. Well, let's, can we just go back and just talk about, like, I'm sure, and I'm not calling for Italy to be chucked out of the Six Nations, but we've played them now. <laughs> and, right, so we've obviously, we've played them. They're pretty much short of their place for the next four years with the CBC deal. But, like we all know kind of like I kind of mentioned earlier we've three teams that they've played have all put significant victories on them we scored six tries England scored six France scored seven we're currently two points differential so if you're not winning a grand slam it comes down just doesn't come down to bonus points against Italy it's coming down to points differential like for the good of the tournament not for the good of rugby and to develop rugby, but for the good of the tournament, the Six Nations tournament. Like something, does, it needs to be, I had a look at Italy's results, right? So far in the Six Nations, Italy have played 108 games. They've won 12 and drawn one, which is a 12% uh, what's that? Let's call That's it right. an 88% um, of the games that they've contested that they haven't won. You know, and like that's only in, in the 21 years of the Six Nations. Like, I, I, I'm not saying bring in Georgia because we all know Georgia aren't much better, but like they're not, they're not 
putting up a challenge to any so, any other side. And it's correct, Jay. Jay. Georgia, it's not that Georgia aren't much better. Georgia are considerably worse. I mean, let's. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, okay, but can I just say? And, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, this conference, we have this conversation regularly, and at the end of the day, there's no solution to it. Nobody has come up with a solution to it. Nobody can think of a solution to it. Um, well, they can. There, there are two choices: either put up with it or get rid of Italy, and that's well, it. Okay, well, I mean, there are other choices, right? Because the rugby world has kind of shifted in the last year between the South Africans pulling out of playing in, in the suit in the whatever it's called the championship or the the rugby championship. The rugby championship. Argentina kind of at a loose end as well. I mean, we were probably all there. I don't know, ten or twelve, more than thirteen years ago when Contepomi and it was in the Guinness storehouse. I can remember Contepomi being asked a similar question back then, before they, before Argentina were permitted in the in the rugby championship, about playing in the Northern Hemisphere, having a team based in Spain. He was like, he was quite adamant he didn't want that to happen, but it might be the only alternative for them if they had. I mean, there was talk of having a, uh, an Argentinian team pay, team based in Bilbao, whether that was for a. Jaguares team that was going to operate in the European Cup or the Pro 14 or whatever, but it's been mooted whether it's yes, I don't know. But the point is, the point is, lads, that while it's a great trip to go to Rome, I've done it twice in those 20 years, it's a fantastic trip. I'm sure it's a lot nicer than going to Tbilisi, that might be interesting to go to as well. But regardless of that, like Italy aren't putting up like some radical, some radical change needs to happen for Italy to improve. I don't ask me what it is. I mean, there's far more intelligent and knowledgeable people about rugby who are struggling and scratching their heads, but something does need to be done. Yeah, well, the problem is the only thing that can be done, really, because Georgia aren't viable for so many reasons that we've discussed at length previously. But by the way, Georgia are two places are ranked, whatever whatever about those two, whatever about world rugby rankings and how much validity you want to put in them, they are ranked two or three places higher than Italy. I think Georgia are 12th and Italy are 15th. Yeah, but they're in Asia. Sorry? They're in Asia and there's only 4 million of them. They're the two biggest reasons. Anyway, let's not get bogged down on that one again, but uh, the only viable alternative to having Italy in the Six Nations is having a five nations and everybody is going to see that as a retrograde retrograde step because you know the whole it's very hard to grow the game of rugby because of all the uh per, the, the peripherals that are needed to have a rugby team and all the you know there's quite a lot to it uh, so growing the game is a real problem so anything that's going to do the opposite of growing the game is going to be seen as a big no-no so Unless you're going to bring South Africa in, uh, which is which is possible, and leave um, New Zealand and Australia to play with Japan or something, you know, they're in the similar time zones. Uh, Perth is actually behind Japan in time at certain times of the year. Um, so, you know, South Africa are in our time zone, are very close to in, in the right time of the year. They're only an hour ahead. They're in Central European time, same as Italy and France. So it's possible that they join up. Uh, I don't see any any third or any fourth option. So it's like bring in South Africa, have a Five Nations, or stay the way we are. I don't I don't see anything else. That the this Argentina in Bilbao thing. It's not, a, it's not a realistic runner. Do you think anyone's going to pay to what to get up at six o'clock in the morning in Buenos Aires to watch Argentina? In a tournament on a different continent in a different hemisphere, no, they wouldn't even get up to watch their own team. They wouldn't even get up to watch Argentina play a tournament in their own country against teams from their own hemisphere. So I don't see why the, the, there's this idea that suddenly because they're in the Six Nations or in the Five Nations or whatever, that it's going to be any different from them in the Rugby Championship. Mm. Yeah, like like you're talking about growing rugby in Italy. Like rugby's going to die in Argentina because that Jaguares professional side is gone. Is gone now. They they no league to compete in. Their national team no longer plays in the rugby championship. So they like 
no problems. I have no problems doing something around the Haguares, getting them into some competition in Europe. That's a different. That's a different matter. Um, I. I'd, I'd be I'd, I'd, I'd suggest that's quite a good idea now in fairness to Argentina they have done a lot of development work on the continent of South America they have been they have been to South American rugby like French were to continental rugby continental European rugby in terms of leading it sending out coaches all that kind of stuff in the hope that it'll eventually develop to a level where they have a competitive thing it's not there yet although Brazil are coming along um, and as are Uruguay, we've, 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 we've seen Uruguay playing in, in, in various different competitions, but it's not there yet. Um, but I would, I'd certainly be in favour of um, a, 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 a Haguares team playing in, you know, the Pro 14 or the, the Top 14 or the, the, or some kind of way of including them in, in, in the Rainbow Cup, maybe. Um, I, think that's, I think that's only inevitable. Well, I mean, yeah. like, obviously it hasn't happened yet, but the but the main four main South African clubs are lined up to play in the Pro 16, 18, whatever it's going to be next season. And we've got four years of that. And yes, then I, then it could cup. And then it's then it's only a matter of time that South Africa the South African variant cup. I think I think that's what's going to happen because no, no, I I certainly think that South African the natural the natural place for South African clubs and maybe even South Africa itself. I do agree is in Europe um, because, you know, TV. Um, Argentina, the country, I don't think it works for them. Um, Haguares, it might do, though, um, in terms of developing the game and providing a development pathway for players. It, it might work. Um, so I'd have no, I, I, I think that would be an idea, all right. Mm. Um, but the question, I mean, the question, how do you fix Italy? It's very simple. You just throw fucking money at it. It's the only thing you can do. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, the unions don't have money though. That's the, world exactly, rugby doesn't have exactly. money. because there's something happening in the Italian player pathway. Because for the last four or five years, Italy have been very competitive at under twenty level. Yeah. I mean, they're not Brit, they're not winning it, but they're not losing. They're not finishing bottom either. They're they're they've been competitive, um, but those players don't seem to be the the progression pathway doesn't seem to be working for whatever. So there's a breakdown there somewhere. Can you imagine how? demoralizing it must be to be an Italian rugby player if you play for Treviso or mm. until recently Zebre where you win far more than you lose so you lose far more than you win you go to your national team you haven't won for five or six seasons you, like you, you know just ask Nick Popola well, yeah, exactly. well there you go I mean and that coincided even though there was a couple of really good rugby players playing for Ireland at the time it coincided his career with the worst run of of, of uh, defeats ever. I mean, I think I looked it up there a couple of weeks ago. I think we won eight and drew, drew two in the 10 years of the 90s. You know, um, like, and, and people just lose interest in it. And you're not going to get sponsors. You're not going to get, the kids are attracted to success. They just want to, they want to emulate, emulate their, their idols. Like if you're, if you've got an idol that's, um, hands on, on his knees behind the, the post waiting for another conversion to go over. Uh, or you're, you're looking at a, a guy scoring a header or a volley from outside the box. Like, it's, do you know what I mean? It's, that's who you're going to want to be uh, when you're older. Look at, sorry if we're going off on a slight tangent, but look at all the, all the, the way you can date Irish men by the soccer teams they support, the English soccer teams mm-hmm. they support, you know? People my age are Leeds United, slightly older are Man United, younger than me are Liverpool, or you know, and it's, that's pure, purely down to success. Whoever's winning, you know. So that's like you say, that's what kids uh, who are playing football in the street or rugby and wherever, what they they want to emulate. You can't, the, the reason that all these um, kids came through as Leinster players was a. Obviously, we've got big population and plenty of private schools to play rugby, but B, they're trying to emulate the lads who won their Heineken Cup in 2009. And, you know, they're emulating that su- and the success of the national team in the noughties and Munster in the noughties. Uh, look, 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 look at those pictures of, of Craig Casey, you yeah, know, I was just Peter, say that. Peter Stringer's arms. You know what I mean? Like, we've seen pictures of, was it Andrew Porter holding Leo Cullen's hand as he's walking out as the mascot? in yep. the RDS you know like that's where kids associate they see these their heroes and they can go that's who I want to be 
like that's just human nature and so very hard in italy when that's not happening yeah you know so and, you, uh, i mean the italian game is i mean you have to admit i mean when you consider that it's actually apart from success it's actually quite a vibrant game at the club level and stuff like that you really have to admire the dedication of the volunteers and the amateur players in Italy that keep the game going. When you consider how hard it must be every weekend, well, how did those guys? Do you remember when we were like when we were how you'd go into work of a Monday after Ireland got trashed at the weekend? It's like how did Ireland do? Well, they lost. Well, you fucking Egypt. What are you doing watching those guys? That for for an Italian rugby fan, it's like that all the time. Yeah, you know, and they still come back for more. In fairness. Yeah. And could you imagine, like, you're, you know, and there's a guy there and he supports Juventus and is fanatical or Roma or whoever, and he's all he wants to talk about, and you get your 10 minutes at lunch break to talk about rugby and he's in, and you're the butt of the joke, like, for yeah. the entire, you know, so that must be incredibly difficult for their supporters. But, like, they do, we'll, we'll get to the Pro 14 or Pro 12 results now, but, like, Zebra are starting to get a few results. I mean, they, they beat, okay, you got to start low, right? You have to start beating the Dragons, and then you can progress. But they did have a good win against the Dragons at the weekend. They're up into, I think they're in fourth place in their conference. Nosebleed alert. Like, you know, it was unfortunate that Treviso, I think maybe was it two years, three years ago, they had a playoff match or a quarterfinal against Munster. And Munster, they yeah. Blew it. But they had that. Imagine if they had got that and got a semi-final, you know, like that would have been a big achievement. They just didn't get the result when they needed it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're not going to solve the problems, but it's just interesting to raise it. Like, and obviously I'm not calling for Italy for that. I would just like to see something done to try and improve them, would be my point. What that no, is. I, 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 I think there's a lot of valid stuff there. Um, but the, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a very tricky one. Um, nope, better minds than us have failed, Jay. Yeah, anyway, boys. So, we had uh, Leinster had our first home game for quite some time. We beat Glasgow 40 21. Um, kind of made a bit of a pig's ear of it after the half time break. We let them back into it. We were winning. I mean, I thought it was going to be a, I thought it could be a hockey score at one stage, but it was, um, we started we off so well. Scored a couple of tries in the opening five ten yeah. minutes, and then we went to sleep. It all went Pete Tom. I uh, think I think what didn't help is the fact that it was a relatively inexperienced team, and when Leinster were at their peak, or when Leinster are at their peak, if it if the opposition suffer some kind of you know reversal or misfortune, Leinster put the boot in, right. At the weekend, Glasgow or uh, Glasgow had a bit of misfortune. Well, not misfortune. The guy got sent off, but the boot didn't go in. The boot that we took our, their, uh, we took the foot off the throat a bit. Mm. I think we got a bit complacent. Guys who you wouldn't expect it of started falling off tackles. I saw Josh Murphy miss a tackle. I mean, that's you know. Our tackling was soft for the whole game, though. Yeah, like, there was. We always made the tackles, but sometimes it was two and three guys. A guy, made a, tackle. A, a guy made a tackle, got bounced off. Another guy nearly got a hold of him, and the third guy stopped him dead. That was happening the whole match. It was, didn't creep in, uh, and, I, and it wasn't every player doing it, but it just, it just had a look of a team that wasn't, wasn't switched on in defence and it didn't want to, you know, like, more like the uh, national team were playing like they were, you know. I'm, that's my ball and I'm taking it back off you and how dare you run at me kind of attitude in defence. Um, we, we, there was a little bit of expecting to win and we nearly didn't like, okay. We, but it was seven points for a good, seven points difference for a good part of the second half. That's yeah. very close for a team in the RDS, especially a team in as shit form as Glasgow. And like, down to 14 men. Yeah, they they were they've won three games all year. I think you pointed that out last year uh, or last week, Jason. They've won three games all season, um, and they are not in a good place. And like you say, they've they they had 14 men, and they they scored with 14 men. They scored a few times at the beginning of the second half. So 
you know, it was, we job done, just like Ireland, job done. We got our five-pointer. We're comfortable yeah. against uh, Ulster now. We don't have to worry too much. Uh, if we can do a three or a four-one against a three-point differential against Ulster, we'll be, we'll be flying. I but, wonder, was there an element of um, looking at next week in advance? In that, uh, that you know, okay, right. So what we have to do against Glasgow is we have to get five points that will give us a bit of a cushion against Ulster. But the whole top process was about Ulster, and not necessarily about you know actually doing the job against Glasgow first. Maybe, maybe. Uh, it, 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 it's not something I'd be overly concerned about because there's guy. A lot of the mistakes that were made were very uncharacteristic errors from from good players who don't normally make that kind of error. So it's not like it's something I'd be overly concerned about. Yeah, but like we were winning very comfortably, and then the red card happened. And sometimes, when we've seen it in when it was rugby, this we we saw like we saw it in the in the Ireland game against Wales when a man he was sent off. Sometimes it can act as a galvanizing, even though it's very difficult to play with fourteen, but it can kind of act as a galvanizing tool. We've seen it in other sports, you know, whether whether it's GA or football, that when fellas are sent off, teams react and they can kind of use it as a rallying cry and maybe that's what Glasgow did because they, they did come back and then you know I mean they were down to they were only seven they got it they managed to claw back to within seven and they you know and then we scored two tries in the final 10 minutes to exaggerate the score to make it 40 21 whatever I wouldn't really say it was that close but we did like I, I was interesting to note that Robin McBride was very I mean Hey, what? I wouldn't want to cross that man. <laughs> he was very harsh about, um, and he kind of, he didn't name the player, but I'm sure the player knew he was talking about. He pretty much said, you know, we can't have fellas falling off tackles because they won't be here much longer if they continue doing that. Um, and, you know, I was wondering, I wonder if, I wonder who it was. I wonder who he was specifically calling out. There was a few contenders for that title. Possibly was, but he kind of said he was a senior person. So I I'd say, I, you know, he could, he, he may well have not been calling out anyone in, in, in particular, but he's not going to let them know that. Mm. I can you all know, think it was then. Spread a little bit of FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and, and doubt amongst, uh, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, there were, there were positives. I thought, uh, considering it was his first major game at, in the position, I thought Scott Penny was extremely, Extremely good at number eight. Extremely good. Yeah. He, he's he reminds me player. of Sean O'Brien every yeah. time I see him play. Yeah. He's a mini Sean O'Brien, isn't he? And, and you know, like, he, we were, they were saying, oh, he's, oh, he's played eight games and scored nine tries. He actually scored a try in his last game of last season, which was against Ulster in, in August. He scored a try as well. So he's actually, he's played nine since we've come back from lockdown. He's played nine. And scored ten tries, so like I mean that's ferocious, isn't it? it yes. If it was just if it was just the scoring of the tries, that'd be a thing. But his general play is excellent as well. Yeah. His general exactly. play is really really good as well. And playing in a, a different position, I think he's reached a point that you know when you see a really good player, their rise seems inexorably upwards, and then they reach the point where they're ready to go to the next level. I think he may have reached that point now where he's ready for the next level. The next level is to become a Heineken Cup player, which he hasn't been yet. Um, he seems to have a, an unstoppable momentum. I, I just think that at the it's a bit like a six foot five lock. A, a six foot back rower is just slightly too small for international rugby, uh, perhaps. Now, the guy punches above his weight. And above his height, uh, he's he's a serious tackler. He he gets really stuck in. Um, but yeah, there's a, big, there's a big obsession with uh, how long ago was that? Is it? There's a big obsession with size in the modern game, as you're <laughs> no doubt aware. Uh, Stefan Armitage is a great player, in fairness. Um, but. I'm not saying he's not going to be an international. I reckon he's destined to be an international. Uh, whether he'll be a nailed-on international, uh, I don't know. We'll see. 
Uh, Ireland, but, but, micro in Ireland is, is a hard place to, it is. to make a name. At this stage, he has to break into European rugby. Yeah. That's what he has to do before we even talk about international, because he's in, I mean, he's in a back, he's in the Leinster back row and his nominal best position is the toughest position to be in, which is obviously open side. Um, so I'd say he was actually very glad of the opportunity to add, to demonstrate he had that other string to his bow by playing at number eight. Well, he's definitely going to be too short to be an eight, you know, seven, fine, eight. They're all six foot four and, and uh, you know. Anthony Foley. And, and blindside, uh, blindside flankers should be bigger again, generally by by stereotype. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. It'll be interesting. He, he's not he's not twenty two until September, so he's no. still got a lot of maybe not a lot, maybe not, not growing, lot of growing. <laughs> maybe not a lot of growing to do. But he's certainly got a lot a more development up. to do. Like he's been still so young. Um, okay, so. I guess our, our big rival for our conference is Ulster. They beat the Ospreys 21-7, but thankfully they didn't get their bonus point and they had a hell of a team out. I mean, there's some big, pretty big names. Marty Moore, Jordy Murphy, Treadwell, Cooney, M- Madigan, Stockwell, McCluskey, Larry playing for them. Um, you know, they even had a good bench. They yeah. had uh, Eric O'Sullivan, Balakum was back and uh, Albie Matheson, so like they had a lot of experience in their team. They just couldn't get that four, that four try. And they're going to have it all again next Friday with a or next Saturday with with a, a day extras rest. Um, and they're playing at home. The home thing doesn't make such a big difference. Uh, but basically, the numbers say if we can go there, come out with a losing bonus point, stop them getting a winning bonus point. All we've got to do in our last two games is win. We don't need any fancy stuff. We don't need anything else because we'll be three points ahead of them and two wins. Well, no matter, even if they get two bonus point wins in the last two games, they can't catch us. So we have Zebra and Osprey left, is that right? Yeah, and Ospreys are at home. So stutter past Zebra 3 0 and, you know, 12 11 to the Ospreys, and we, we're, we're, we're top of the conference. If we, we stay within three points of Ulster next weekend. Uh, of course, it'd be lovely to go out and blow them away and put down a marker. Uh, and, uh, you know... And I, think, I, I, think, I think people have been very... I don't want to be disrespectful to Ulster because, it's a, obviously, they're a good team. Um, but people are saying, oh, sure, they've, they've nearly their whole team and we're, we're missing loads of players. There's a reason why, they're ha- why they have their whole team. Yeah, Stockdale's been injured. There's a reason why they have their whole team. <laughs> um, look, you know, I'd fancy us all day and twice on Sunday uh, against Ulster. With, with of course, it depends, it depends on who we have back from injury. And I mean, back from Ireland. We'll get a few back from Ireland, you know. Um, I'd imagine both teams will have pretty similar numbers to what they had this weekend. Or, well, we know who we're getting back from Ireland. But we, we wonder whether Frawley will come back, whether he yeah, that's, his that's injury was... Yeah. Probably I mean, Harry Byrne. Harry Byrne. Um, I don't know. Keen Keller got a couple of stitches. I'm sure he's okay because he yeah. continued playing. Uh, obviously, there's we've got longer term guys out. Adam Byrne and Levy Deegan Barris. You know these lads. But whether you know the two O'Briens, Tommy and Connor, how long are they out for? We don't know. I don't think they'll be. I don't think we'd be seeing Maybe them not. this season at this rate, Jay. Um, yeah. But you know, then, we, 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 Jimmy O'Brien came back was fine. Obviously, the lads in the wing. If we would get Frawley back, it would make a big difference because Frawley beside uh, Rory O'Loughlin was a good partnership. Um, yeah. In, in, in terms of our, our pack, I have no fears of our pack whatsoever. If we had, if we don't have Harry Byrne or Frawley, I'd say we'd have, we have to get Rosser back from, from Ireland. I don't think there's any question of that. So we're not getting, the players that, were, that, that have been released, haven't they been already announced? Could be. I've had a busy week, yeah. so... There was um, oh, a training squad announced for this weekend. Okay. An Irish training squad that have been called up. I think, I think Byrne was in it. There's only three Ulster in it. Billy Burns, Rob Herring and Ian Henderson. Right. But uh, I think there's 15 or 16 away. I think. Maybe well, I'm wrong on that. Uh, no, I think I'm wrong on that. Um 
but like I was, I was talking to a friend of mine just the, the day no, after. No, Rossburn has been released back. Was it, yeah. The players released back that are relevant for this game are uh, Ed Byrne, Ross Byrne, Stuart McCluskey, Tom O'Toole, Reese Ruddock and Josh. Okay. Well, that, that, that'll be a, that'll be a, a, a back row. We've no problem in the back row anyway, but uh, we've definitely got no problem in the back row now. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm more worried about the backs because there's so many injuries in the backs. Yeah. And yeah. the I, reason I, Russ... Bur- I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, uh, just after seeing, watching Frawley. I mean, it was, almost looked like he was in tears. And we were saying, like, we don't really, you know, we just think that they're kind of robots. And, you know, Asher, like, your body gets injured. It'd be okay. It could take a week. It could take a month. It could take a year. But you'll come back. But you just see how much it meant to him because he had his chance, you know. He he obviously knows that, say, the, the Irish incumbent is ahead of him. And they want, they've played Ross Byrne 12 a few times. And he just saw this as his opportunity and his body let him down. And it yes, was heartbreaking. I'd say that. I'd say you're entirely right there, Jay. Um, I'd say at the beginning of the season, he, like like every player maps out their goals for the season or maps out, you know, what they want to achieve. And he would have looked at the periods of time where Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose are away um, and said, right, those are my opportunities. And he's missed a lot of them because of injury. I mean, it's, this is, it, it's not just last, it's, it's not just last week, just gone. I mean, he has been injured this season and a lot of the opportunities he would have seen because he was on a, he was on a steady upward curve uh, in how things were going. And then, you know, since, you know, the end of the end of November, he's, he's been very unfortunate with injury and missed a lot of the opportunities that he himself would have been targeting. So I'd say he's immensely frustrated. Yeah. But you saw it, the emotion came out yeah. on his face, you know, and it, it sort of, it brings you, it brings it home to you, like how, it's important to us. We, you know, we're, we're the fellas that pay a few hundred quid every year to go and watch them. But actually, it does mean a lot to the players. You can see. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, and it kind of it drove it home to me anyway. Absolutely, uh, I agree with you entirely. Yeah, just looking at some of the other results, uh, Connacht had a, a good victory. I mean, they should really be putting Bennett on away, but they they left it to the very last minute. Uh, Bundyaki driving over, fantastic try from under his own post, beating. Lots of defenders. It's and... Bundy. It's the Bundy story. <laughs> Bundy of the Rovers. Bundy of the Rovers. I mean, it really is. I mean, Connick, since he's joined, has been Bundy of the Rovers. Like, Yeah, it's great stuff. Really I love nice. that guy. Definitely mm. playing us. Yeah. Um, Munster put away card John's second team. Uh, Joey Carberry back, which is great to see. Great to see yeah. Joey back. Um. I saw there Cardiff have decided to drop the Blues. How do you feel about that, John? <laughs> yeah, I'm really concerned. Really, oh, stop. They've alienated all the other people in their region. Um, yeah, I think Ponty Preed will be uh, both happy and, and sad. Uh, I wonder will p- places like Ponty Preed be allowed to join up with the Ospreys or the Dragons or... What's going to happen? In, in, in the press release, they were quite determined to make the point that they're still retaining, they're still going to fulfill their regional responsibilities. Was it they're, they're a club with a regional responsibility? That's the way they put it. Um, so, in other words, hands off, Ospreys. Um, mm. I mean, look, it's, 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 it's Wales. Um, the politics of Welsh rugby make the Roman Forum look like you know a child's tea party um they get hang up they get hung up on stuff in wales they get hung up on on, on the uh, like about gatlin's law and how many caps has he got and how many caps have he, instead of just doing what the irfu do which is like ambiguous well we're ireland you see yeah, but the, it works for they get hung up on stuff like calling things regions calling things clubs calling things from it, it doesn't matter if it's called you know, Bob. Who cares what it's called as long as it works? Now, the what RFU, they had, what the RFU what had a great had, way around it. With sorry to interrupt you, the RFU had a great way when 
sort of the, the provincial teams started to develop as clubs, but no one really wanted to call them clubs because they didn't want to stand on the toes of the clubs. So they call them the organizations, great organization. It's a great organization to be involved with. And all, I, all of, and then eventually when it did become okay to call them clubs, Leinster is now a club yeah. because the players only know about playing for Leinster. But, but the other good one is provincial club. Mm. It's great to play. I mean, you're always looking to play for your provincial club. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, what does it matter? If, if Cardiff want to be a club, let them be a club. If, if Ospreys want to be a region, let them be a region. If Newport want to be the home of Goldie-looking chain, let them be the home of Goldie-looking chain. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as it works. The problem is that a lot of the time in Wales kind of hasn't. So they have to, that's, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what they call themselves because it, it, it's not really working, except for the Ospreys and maybe Clinetley. I was I was listening to uh, Sean Holly talk about it and he was going to have a, Pro 14 um, podcast with John Holly, and uh, had another journalist on, uh, another Welsh journalist, but he was saying that apparently they've done lots of market research into it, and they get very few supporters from the non-Cardiff area. So they want to keep, basically, they want to keep the ones that are supporting them happy, and not really, they're not too concerned, because they, they know they've had 10 almost, I think it's 18 years of being the Cardiff Blues and they have got very little traction in those areas that John mentioned, Pontypridd. None at all. None at all. So they, they don't, they just, they've just jettisoned them essentially and said, well, we look after your, you know, you're as a region, as, as Leinster rugby or Leinster branch, the equivalent of the Leinster branch, we'd administer your clubs, but if you don't want to support the Cardiff rugby team, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, just, Cardiff is about half a million people and the whole of Wales is only, uh, well, North Wales is a million people and they don't count. So the whole of South Wales, yeah, they're only, they, don't count, they don't count from a rugby perspective is what I mean. Um, and the whole of South Wales is 2 million people and a quarter of them live in Cardiff. So, you know, They'll be able to make enough, uh, be sell enough jerseys in Cardiff <laughs> by doing what they're doing. So, yeah, at the matter. Anyway, let's not get too sidetracked with Cardiff. Anyway, Munster beat. John probably has, John's probably saving all his good stuff for when he goes on to his Cardiff pod. <laughs> <laughs> the other blues talk. <laughs> the other blues talk. We have to get rid of that name, John, yeah. won't you? We're going to have to call it talk. Well, Scarlets had a good away win up in Edinburgh. Edinburgh just gone from bad to worse. Um, and the other result was, I mentioned briefly, was Zebra beating the Dragons. So um, Zebra up into fourth uh, in our in our uh, league. But however, Glasgow do have a game in hand of them. And I think they play Glasgow next weekend. Our Glasgow, there were two games cancelled on the... 13th of February. Are, is Glasgow and Edinburgh against Dragons and one of the Italian clubs, I think. Uh, are they going to um, be able to play those? Or maybe are they going to play them the week in the final? Or Because when else are they going to play them? Does it matter? No, but be interested to know. I'm sure they play, maybe they play them around the time of the final. Why not? They can play the March 26th as a warm-up for the uh, France-Scotland game. Who knows? Who knows? Um, just one, one thing that I did, I wanted to talk about here very briefly before we go, was, uh, we didn't get to him last week, was just Gary Halpin passing. Um, I'd say maybe some of our older people that watched might remember him playing for Leinster. He was... Uh, he was in Wanderers when I when I played for them. He was a gas man. And it was just very sad. He's only fifty five. It was very sad to see him pass away so young. Yeah, it is um, an Irish international as well. Um, seemed like a a, a a good man for the laugh. All right, from what I've heard, we didn't know him personally, but uh, yeah, sad sad to see any man at fifty five go, much less a, a fit. Or at least very uh, sporting man in his day, you know, was obviously had a, a level of fitness that would have stood him into later life. But yeah, very sad. 
Yeah. Young people won't remember this. Voice. Young people won't remember this, but there was a time in, in, in the world when not all information was instantaneously spread all over the world. So when the World Cup started, it was your, the only, it was really the only time or the first time you got to see teams like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. You never saw them because you didn't see Super Rugby. You didn't see the Rugby Championship. It didn't even exist at the time. So for 10 brief minutes at the start of Ireland versus New Zealand in the 1995 World Cup, Gary Halpin gave us hope that we were going to win that World Cup. And then the inevitability of that New Zealand team, that amazing New Zealand team with Jonah Lomu, came to bear, came to pass upon us. But for 10 minutes, Gary Halpin made us the best team in the world. And for that alone, yeah. and for that he's alone. a legend. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, boys, as ever, thanks very much for watching. Thanks very much, John and Dave, for joining us and for watching. If you are following us on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, please uh, give us a like and a thumbs up. Cheers. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.